0: as we continue our study through the book of romans i've used as one uh, running illustration uh, the idea that romans was designed as a whole and yet it is often true that in our attempts to understand it we have rightly taken it apart but sometimes we haven't put it back together that is we've left some of these wonderful doctrines off on their own and without being a part of the overall machine and put back together, they don't have as much functionality as we might like. And so I've used the illustration of a green beast, a 1970 Suburban that is slowly being put back together. I hope in March to send you more pictures of an engine and transmission running. But one of the beautiful things about the Suburban is that it takes you to these amazing and glorious places in Wyoming that are breathtaking in their beauty. And this morning what I want to do is take this passage in Romans 6 and use it as a vehicle to go back and to see the glory and the beauty of what we read in Luke this morning in Mary's response to the angel Gabriel and See it through the lens, the practical reality of what Paul is on about. And what are the implications of what he's saying in these rich theological, but perhaps abstract ideas. And in the same way, take Mary back into Romans and realize how beautiful and rich and glorious is the truths that she speaks when we see them in context of God's work in not just her life, but all of our lives. These passages are in the same book because they enrich and build on each other. Not only is Romans a whole, but Scripture itself is one whole vehicle that allows us to in ever greater degrees enjoy the richness and beauty of who God is and who we were created to be. So let's take uh, the passage now. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6, 12 through 14, hear now God's word. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have, will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful again for your word. We're grateful for your unselfishness, your generosity in sending your Son. Uh, Lord, not simply, although foundationally, to save us, but Lord, to restore us, that we might delight in you and delight what it mean, in what it means to be your children. We pray that you would encourage us again on this Sunday as we look forward to celebrating your birth this week. We ask that whatever is said this morning would be useful for the building up of your people, and whatever is untrue or unuseful, may those words quickly be forgotten. In Christ's name, amen. We know uh, that the uh, name Mary, out of the Hebrew, uh, has actually a wide variety of meanings. Uh, The word can either mean uh, a drop in the sea, uh, which seems unlikely uh, that that was the meaning behind Mary's parents, unless she was born on a boat in the Mediterranean or in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Bitter... Uh, which does not seem to be a proper application uh, for uh, Mary. Uh, She is not struggling with bitterness, uh, or her parents didn't seem to be. The third definition that is most likely is beloved. And that is what we usually think of when we name our children Mary, is that Hebrew understanding of this is a beloved child, and Mary is beloved. She's beloved uh, in the history of the church, but sometimes to varying degrees for there's all uh, different views on, on the way in which we should recognize the blessing and the uniqueness of Mary in the story of Scripture and in the life of believers. What we know is how she defines herself. And in Luke 1.38, she defines herself as a servant of the Lord. And she says, let it be to me as you have said. And that is what I want to reflect on briefly this morning. In light of what Paul says in chapter 6, is that Mary, the beloved, responds to her Lord and her God, the recognition that she is... The Lord's servant. And she is, because of her willingness, remembered as a woman deeply blessed in her own words, and always acknowledging that she was dearly loved by her Creator. So we're going to go through what we know about Mary, and we're going to use the lens of verses 12 through 14 to do so. First of all, it's no insignificant thing that Mary is a virgin not just for technical reasons that Mary needed to uh, not have been with a man so that we can argue that Jesus was born without sin and all of those problems. It's not primarily or exclusively a theological or technical issue, because we all know that the Middle Ages, the church got really wrapped around the axle about whether or not Mary could have had a sinless child, which must mean that Mary was conceived without sin. And then all of a sudden you have repercussions This isn't purely about a human context of whether or not sin was or was not introduced into her womb. The first thing we need to know about virginity in this time frame is that it was not seen as a glorious, joyous thing. It was terrifying because you didn't know if you could have kids. And because in a society and a culture that both needed children to survive and deeply loved them and enjoyed them immensely, virginity was not seen as what we use uh, when we talk about the virgin timber and the virgin country that America was. That is all of the untapped fruitfulness that just didn't happen to be first century and ancient civilization's view of Virginia. It wasn't seen necessarily. It was a big question mark. There was not life there yet. And there wasn't a recognition of whether or not life could come. Only time would tell. It was a matter of faith. It was a way in which there was concerned hope but concern but mary had left her life in the hands of the lord and she had not fed her appetites she was a virgin she had maintained which not everyone does that status until she was married She represents what it means and what what Paul is talking about to have something in our physical and emotional and spiritual being which is meant for a proper purpose, which is wonderful and joyous and glorious and yet is not supposed to be used simply as a way to feed our appetites. Or verse 13, a means to our own personal ends. We know that Emotional and physical love can often be used as a means of control, not just to feed our passions, but a way of feeding our minds and our sense of self-worth and significance. It is naive to imagine that first century women didn't face the same pressures from men and the same pressures from society to simply utilize what they had to achieve a measure of comfort or a measure of identity, or a measure of appreciation. Mary is an example of a faithfulness even in the midst of the normal pressures that the world puts on us. And we could use illustrations about money, and we could use illustrations about power and violence, and there are those in Scripture as well, but as we think about this Christmas season and Advent, here is Mary, a shining example of what it means for Paul to say, this is what it looks like to be alive, that we don't have to give into what our body and our minds tell us we need at any given moment, but there's actually freedom and life and possibility in saying yes to God's created order, and no to the passion's and the expediency of our own personal ends. Because those things we know lead to death. They lead to death emotionally and physically. It is no small thing that Mary was offering herself to become, because of speculation, The very thing she wasn't. The fact that she hadn't given herself, the fact that she hadn't fed appetites or used physical love as a means of achieving things in her community, the fact that she had been true is in some ways being undone by what God is asking her to do. The notion that in a small town in Israel this innuendo would not plague her for the rest of her life is again naive. Joseph understood it. He loved her, but he meant to set her aside. No one believes that she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. How easy is that to communicate in a small Judean town? Probably not much easier than it is in any other small or big town. I don't think, without too much psychologizing, that Jesus' sensitivity to women caught in adultery to his compassion for those women, is unrelated to the cloud that Mary lived under. To what it is to extend love and grace to those who are in society looked at as less worthy. Sinners, pariah, his generosity to the woman at the well his care for the woman who gives perfume and washes his feet, the woman who caught in adultery, he defends by saying, you who are without sin cast the first stone. In no way does Jesus suggest that they are without sin, but he is compassionate time and time again in Scripture. The idea that that would be unconnected to what his mother had been through would be to make Jesus a person without emotion or feeling or life context, a divine being floating through a pseudo existence unfazed by his parental environment or the life around him. I don't know that that's a good way to view Jesus. But what we know from Paul is that those are true, but because of who we are, God brings Life out of death. He brings us from death to life, which is the hope that Jesus has in ministering to those women throughout uh, his pastoral care on this earth and what happens truly through Mary. She gives herself as a servant to the Lord and God brings out of what was an unknown entity, Mary's womb, life. And it's not just life for her, not just life for her child, but life for all of us. God is a God who brings from death to life. Her womb is alive. She has other children. It is not just a hope, but it is a reality she can hold in her hands. And comfort and encourage and love. verse 13 we see that do not present your members as sin instruments of sin or unrighteousness but present yourself to god as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and your members to god as instruments of righteousness you see the reason that things in this world have a particular context and have a right way of use is not because God has an odd way of trying to run our lives or rob us of freedom or joy or those things that would seem pleasurable at any given moment, whether they're money or food or sex. Is that they have a context, and when we present ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our abilities in the right context, they bring life. What Paul is talking about is people like Mary who present themselves and their. Abilities to God in God's time, and out of those, He brings life. She becomes an instrument of righteousness. She becomes the means by which God brings the founder and author of all salvation into this world. She was a woman who had kept her eyes and her faith in God so that when God came, she responded very differently than her uncle. And we know that story. He was, in his own way, unable to imagine how God would use things that looked broken or untested or had been tried and found wanting. He couldn't believe that God could bring life out of death. Mary responded in faith, and she was honored and rightly held up for us as an encouragement that we too, in God, can offer ourselves and our being and our abilities for his glory and purposes and thereby bring righteousness into the world and bring life and joy. It is lastly, as we've already alluded to under grace, but grace doesn't mean without difficulty. In fact, you don't need much grace if you don't have much difficulties grace usually uh is in the context of uh, unmerited need i mean unmerited uh well significant need and unmerited uh, ability to ask for help there we go we got around that theological idea at some point grace is extending to us what we need not what we deserve and in the same way Uh, it does assume that life will be difficult. Paul understood this. Paul understood that wrestling with sin was difficult. He understood that it was a daily activity, as the quote in your worship folder indicates from the commentary. It is a daily activity because life, this side of glory, is not easy living. It is hard living. It is hard living, following God in the midst of a world that suggests and encourages us to follow our own needs at any given moment. Paul certainly lives out what it means to live a grace-filled life in the midst of great difficulty and hardship. Mary exemplifies what it means to live out of grace in the midst of what was for her a difficult life. Not an easy life. Pierre she was widowed early. She struggled with what on earth her son was really doing. And in the end, she had to see him die. And then be raised. And all of her life transformed through that reality and that outpouring of a God who brings life out of death. For our own contemplation throughout the week, uh, we watched uh, White Christmas last night. It was a great movie. Uh, One of the interesting scenes is the encouragement and the song to count one's blessings instead of sheep when we're trying to go to sleep, which is actually a pretty brilliant theological insight. To reflect on the goodness of God when one is trying to fall asleep is probably a lot more effective than simply counting sheep, especially if you think of those sheep as people in the church, and then those people in the church did something wrong to you, and then all of a sudden you're remembering all of the sheep, and not their beauty, but their problems. So no, counting one's joys, one's blessings, uh, to be sure. And that is what Mary does, and that's what she exemplifies, is a recognition of the joys of being God's people. The Magnificat rings with joy. Her reflection, her great poem, is a powerful recognition of joy in the midst of God's provision. But it's not just God's blessing of us. I want to encourage you to reflect on how you have been a blessing. Because one of the ways that the enemy robs us of the richness of who we are is to deny us a recognition that we have been instruments of righteousness. Not because of our own virtue or value, per se. I don't mean to suggest this is a way to build up your ego. But if you deny the fact that God has used you to bring life and light into other people's lives, you're really denying an aspect of God's glory. And one of the things the enemy would delight for us to do is make us feel like we're not all that useful or not all that helpful. And so all I can do is remember all the ways that God's been nice to me, but it was never meant to be a one-way street. It is okay and right for us to reflect on how God has used us as a blessing in the lives of others. You're not dead, you're alive. And as we give our members, our minds, and our bodies to acts of righteousness, God brings life to other people. Just as Mary, submitting to God's call on her life, brought life and righteousness to all who knew her, but more graciously and gloriously to the whole world itself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that when we turn from offering ourselves to the things that would we would like, that we would pursue for our own means and pleasure and turn back to the things that bring life and to trust you and to turn our lives over to your righteousness, that you, even in difficulty, bring life and light and blessing. May we be in this Advent season and advent in our own lives of the blessing of God in this world. For your glory and honor, in Christ's precious name, amen.